0: Greetings, everybody. We we have been doing um, a new series called Roots, Essential Truths. And there are a number of things that we've been talking about, things like grace and what it means. Um, We've talked about um, who Jesus is and what it means to know him. We've talked about how essential it is to actually to yield to the word of God, that the scriptures are God's word. It is how he speaks to us. It is authoritative over our lives. And if we are Christians, we have been saved by grace and we submit to him. We submit to what he tells us. We're obedient to him. And the way we're going to find out how to be obedient is through submitting to his word, abiding in his word. We even talk, touched on, on Satan, the devil. We talked about some things related to that. We wanted to remove any sort of false ideas that people have in our culture, which there are many strange things, strange things that people that believe that Satan drags people to hell. He actually, no, that's not true. He doesn't have that kind of power. Um, they think that, man, hey, look, the devil's going to get me. But the biggest issue that we have is not Satan or the devil. It's our sin. Our sin. Our sin's a big issue. The reason people go to hell is not because of Satan, it's because of my sin and not knowing Jesus. So we're talking about these these essential truths, these basic things, these, these things that we need to know, and they go they root deep, they go deep, and they're things that are going to help us stay planted well. you know in the, in the midst of a, um, an election year, and with all the complexities and uh, the strangeness that we have coming up our way and the unsettledness in our own country, which is so unfortunate. But you know what we need as Christians, we need to be rooted in the basic things of God. And we need to cling to Jesus because God is sovereign over all of it. And we just need to remember who we are in Christ and stay connected to Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, we know things like, you know, God builds his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this morning we're going to be talking about another aspect of essential truth that's going to be really important for us to consider. It's the whole issue of of evangelism or outreach, and I'll say it this way. It's basically the whole issue of telling others and being an outward-focused church. You know, when you read the Bible, you will see churches that basically fall into sin, or they get really inward focused, and that, that temptation happens to every church because of good things. And let me explain that. One of the good things that can happen to a church, and does happen to good churches all over the world, is they get really inward focused. They just they just see themselves. They just do things for themselves. They just budget for themselves. And they don't think about the people that are living around them in their neighborhood, in their workplace that do not know who Jesus is. And how do we be a church that isn't inward looking in saying, Hey, look, look how great we are, but looking outward and saying, how do we stay on mission and tell others about the mercy of Jesus? How do we be an outward focused church that is telling others about Jesus? Now, there are many of us here that might not be uh, gifted by the Holy Spirit in such a way to have a gift of evangelism. And yet, every one of us as a Christian are called to be able to give an account of the hope that we have. Even if you're not gifted. I mean, think about this. Not every parent is really gifted at leading their kids amazingly. But every parent is called to parent and shepherd that child. Is there any parent that should say, because some probably will say, hey, look, I just really don't have that strong of a gift of parenting. So therefore, I'm not going to parent my kids. You would say that's insane. If you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then how can we help but tell others and speak to others about the mercy that we have in Jesus Christ? Let me start by sharing a story. In the book of Matthew, I'm not gonna tell the whole story. It's it's Mark chapter five. I don't want you to turn there right there. Right now, just 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 listen. We're gonna be in the gospel of Luke. But in Mark chapter five, Jesus comes face to face with someone who is a total train wreck. They are naked. He lives among the tombs. He must be filthy. Like naked, living among the tombs, shackles hanging from his arms, wild and crazy. And Jesus confronts him, and something very peculiar happens. Some of you are familiar with the story, I know. But Jesus has this interaction, and this man is demon-possessed. And it's probably far more terrifying than the movies could even portray, because the man is not talking, but the demon's through this man are speaking to Jesus. And the short of it is, and this would be a whole other sermon altogether, and I'd love to share it with you sometime, but not today, and unravel the details of what happens, is that Jesus cleanses this man. He cleanses this man of the demons that are inside of him. He commands them with the word, and they leave him. And then what happens to that guy is that he's sitting in his right mind, right mind and clothed. And the people around are very blown away by what they see because his reputation is terrifying. I want to tell you that I realize that you might be sitting here today and you might be reminded of your sin and how filthy you were. Or you might be here today and not not be sure if you're a Christian. And you might feel like, you know, I do feel kind of dirty, quite honestly. If you knew the stuff that I did, if you knew the thoughts that I have, if you knew the things that I say, you would know how dirty I am. And I don't want you to know. But let me tell you something. That Jesus, if he can cast out these filthy demons and make this guy clean and make him sit there in his own mind then he can cleanse you of whatever filthiness or dirtiness that you have or think you have. I mean, without Jesus, we are unclean. Let me be absolutely clear. But let me be absolutely clear that Jesus can cleanse you. And he can save you. And the guilt and the shame that you feel can be washed away. Because that old man is dead and buried and there's a new man risen who is you if you know Jesus. But let me tell you, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not consider yourself a Christian, you are, you are still unclean. And I want, I want to be able to talk to you about that. And I want to, I'm telling you, there's hope. But this man was sitting there in his right mind. You know, what would this man want to do? Man, after being healed after being oppressed by these demons for who knows how long, who knows what he was doing. Quite honestly, could you imagine the filthiness that he was doing to bring on these demons? What kind of muck was he involved in? Could you imagine how ashamed he probably was? The people who knew what he did. I I don't know what he did. I don't know what, what brought this on the shame and guilt, and there he is in his right mind. What does he want to do? He wants to go with Jesus. Jesus is going to leave this area. He's going to get in a boat and leave, and Jesus does not let him come with him. But do you know what Jesus does? He sends him to his friends. He's like, no, you're not coming with me. I want you to go to your friends, into the big city, and tell them about the mercy that Jesus has shown you. Tell them about the the mercy that God has had on you. And he goes into the city or the Decapolis and people marvel and they give glory to God. But dude, my friends, I need to tell you something. That if you are a Christian, then you and I can tell others about the mercy that has been shown to us by God. You should tell others about the mercy that has been shown to you by God. And if you don't, do you know why you don't? I want to appeal to you and and plead with you, brothers and sisters. Let's tell others about the mercy. You know what? And look, this is a plant. And so, man, we need to be focused on telling others about the mercy of Jesus in our home, in our hood, and in our work. It's super simple. It's not even rocket science, it's in your house. If you live by yourself, it's also your neighborhood. Hey, do you know the people that live like a few doors down from you? Do you know their name? Have you ever seen them? Do you know everyone at your work? You, if I asked you how many employees you have, you are like, I have four employees. Do you know all of them? Do you know their story? Have you ever had lunch with them? Do you know how this workspace, they have your like or there's some people that come to work and you're like dude I'm like, like you go to walk in the uh, the workplace food area and you're like oh you like close the door and walk back out you're like dude I want to eat with that person there they drive me nuts but do you know them if we've experienced the mercy of God then we can tell others about the mercy of God when i was uh, a young christian i was about 19 years old and i had this amazing opportunity god was awakening in me some uh, a spiritual gift of evangelism that I, w- I didn't totally get at the time and it was mixed with some bad intentions at the same time. Let me let me see if you can identify with this. I was nineteen, and I met this girl. It wasn't Becky. What? She wasn't as beautiful as my wife. <laughs> and I, I was I met this girl, and uh, we were you know interested in talking. And I was convinced that she wasn't a Christian. I knew that she wasn't a Christian. Because Christians actually let you know that they're a Christian at some point. If they don't, they might not be a Christian. Um, and uh, um, we kind of had this interest in like going on a date or something. And as a Christian, I knew that I could not date a non-Christian. Some of you might be shocked by that. You might not know that. If you are a Christian, the Bible tells us that you are not to marry a non-Christian. Read First Corinthians. Paul says, if you're going to marry, marry only in the Lord. It's a command. It's an imperative voice. It's a command. And uh, I knew, okay, I can't date this girl. I can't marry her. But she's really attractive. I want to go, I want, And we want to kind of go on a date or whatever. So um, I did the next, next thing. I thought I would figure out if a way to get her to uh, turn into a Christian. So, uh, so what I did is I, I did this really heroic thing. I wrote a letter to her. And I didn't talk to her about it, but I wrote a letter and I, you know, I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm interested. Um, hey, do you know who God is? And if you don't, here's how you know him." Jot jot jot. She writes me back. I did what you said and then calls me. "Hey, I got saved." Thank you for sharing that. And I was like, "Wow. Like I wrote a letter and this girl gets saved." So now I can date her. Now, what was I do? Like there, there was, there was two, there was two really interesting. God uses people even in the midst with their bad motives. Here's a young single guy who wants to date. And the, I know I can only date a Christian. I'm not supposed to date a non-Christian. And the temptation to date a non-Christian is pretty high when you're 19 and hormones are kicking in. You're, Cause you're just thinking she's good looking. And that's all you're thinking when you're 19. If you weren't thinking that way at 19, I praise God for you and you were mature, but I was not. And so she said, well, I'm a Christian now. And, um, and, but here's the thing, dude, I was not courageous or bold. If anything, I was kind of cowardice. I was afraid to actually talk to her about it. I wrote a letter, by the way, you, some of you kids here, you don't know what a letter is. It, you take paper and then you write, you write with a pen on the paper, and then you fold it up, and they have these things called stamps that you can, it's, it, 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 yeah. And you can send uh, a, uh, some words to another person and not get to them instantaneously <laughs> on <a> horseback. <laughs> can you identify with that? Like, even fear. Are any of you afraid, it's rhetorical, are any of you afraid to tell others about the mercy of Jesus? Are any of you afraid to tell others about the, the, the grace that has been shown to you? This morning I want to give you five things that I want you to kind of bite into and I want you to consider. And I want you to be aware of when it comes to being an outward-focused church, when it comes to telling others about Jesus, because every one of us needs to tell others about Jesus. Every one of us can speak about the mercy that was shown to us. Because our hearts have been made new. Our lives have been changed by Jesus. How can we bottle that up? How can we hide that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we might hide that. One of the ways that I hid it, one of the reasons I didn't make the phone call, or I didn't sit down with that person one-on-one, and the reason I wrote the letter is because of of what? I was fearful and afraid. And quite honestly, at 19, I was just cowardice. That's what it was. Now, I don't want to hit... If you need to write a letter to someone, I don't want... I mean, I'd rather you do something, but I'm saying... For me, I was not being bold. I was not being courageous. I, was, I didn't want that interaction of someone rejecting me face-to-face. That's what that was. And God used that anyway. We didn't date, by the way. See, sweetie, it is no big deal. You're so beautiful. And she's not, you're way prettier than her anyway. Anyway, so don't worry about it. Um, so I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And I want to give you five things that I need you to chew on and think about related to being an outward-focused church. And I you as an individual telling others about the mercy that's been shown to us. Without question, you and I are required to tell others about the mercy that's been shown to us. And I want to address these five things for you to chew on that you're going to face in the midst of that. You heard the scripture, Luke 10, read to you this morning from Crystal. And there's, there's these five things that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is this. That there's actually a lot of people out there that do not know Jesus. And the um, workers are very few. There's a lot of people that that hate God. And the laborers are not many. They're not many. Look at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72. Now, why did he appoint 72? He's going to take these people and he's going to send them out and they're going to go into these neighborhoods. Now, if you read that, you might have this question why 72? It's a little bit confusing, but I will, I'm going to give you an answer that I've, I've found helpful from commentaries I've read. I haven't found someone to disagree with this. But I will tell you this, depending on which translation you're you're holding on to, in our modern era, what people typically put is the number 72, but there are some equally ancient texts um, that will say 70. So you might have a translation that says 70 and not 72. But let me point to some biblical evidence that's that's not even in this text right here. So most scholars agree it's 72, even though there are some texts that are the same age that will just say seventy. OK, by the way, the, the, the difficulties in the Bible are very, very small, a very fraction amount. It's like not a problem. OK, but I'm just I'm making you aware of that. OK, there might even be a footnote that you're looking at that you can see right there with the 72. But when you go back to the book of Genesis in Genesis, you have creation, fall, redemption. You see this amazing story of Noah. Sin had entered the world. People were running rampant with sin and God was grieved at his heart so much so that he was sorry that he had made man and he was going to destroy the world with a flood. Now, you know why rainbows show up? A rainbow, in real life, by the way, rainbows that we see in the sky are a sign of a promise that God made after he flooded the world and he saved and sheltered a people. This was a sign that he would never destroy the world again with a flood. God made that promise, that covenant with Noah. Noah. And that's to remind us that God keeps his promises. But out of that came Noah and his household, and there were 72 different groups of people that came out of the new household that came out of the ark. 72. What this reflects, these 72 different groups, what this reflects is the people of the world. Check this out. A lot of the people that Jesus was working with were Jewish, and they knew their Bible. And when they, they would connect dots, oh, wow, you're sending us, sending 72 of us out. Is this like a precursor to going out to the whole world? And I'll tell you this, that's exactly what that is. This, it's, it's, it's an impression. It's a symbol of God going out to, to all these people. Then listen to what it continues to say. It continues to say, excuse me. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, now I'm going to stop right there for a moment. He he, he said to them, no, I'm going to keep going. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay. God sends them out. There's 72 of them, and and you guys, isn't, isn't, isn't that who we are? The harvest is ready. The laborers are few, and aren't we part of the laborers? Dude, and the point is this. You are part of the laborers. Listen to what he continues to say in verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Do you know what that means? So we know that the the, the lost are many and you are plan A for God. You are. All these other churches in the city, all around the world are plan A. God sends us out. He's going out to a whole world. This is a precursor to what's to come. And he says this, did I send you you out? You're vulnerable. You're in the midst of wolves. You know what? You got to be careful. And you're totally dependent on God. You, are t- you and I are totally dependent on God. You know, the gospel that we carry with us is not something that we hold. It's not like we go out with a sword to go jab people with or toward, to force them into Christianity. Although there, are, there is a religion that does that. Christianity doesn't do that. We come with a message about mercy that was shown to us. And that place that we go, I don't want you to be fooled, friends. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. The Christianity is dangerous, but if you are his child, you are his forever. There are people that want to dupe you so that you don't know Jesus. There are people that want to tempt you to sin badly. You know, Christians can be abused and killed. For our environment right now, we're not, we're, we're not facing that right now. But what do we face? We face some stuff that, that stings, and I'm telling you, I don't want you to feel I don't want you to feel duped like I deceived you. Like you might you might get stung. You could ask someone up and to know Jesus, a dear friend, and you have been working at the same place for 15 years, and all of a sudden they don't want to hang out with you anymore. Like I want you to know that can happen. And it's okay. Dude, Jesus actually tells us that I'm sending you out among wolves. You're totally dependent on God. It's it's dangerous. And I need you to know that. And you know what the 72 did is that they went. You know what I'm telling you to do, brothers and sisters? Don't write the letter. Say the words. If you're the only Christian in your home, I know that it can feel dangerous. I know there are Christians that live at home and it is not a healthy situation where to talk about Jesus is unsafe and they make you feel like an idiot. I remember, look, I've, I've, I've shared a story before that before my father got saved, my mom was a Christian. I think I did not grow up in a Christian home. I want you to know, I did not, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Like we went to church. My mom did not disciple me. My dad was not a Christian. He didn't get saved till after I had left home. We weren't going to church. I drove myself to church. So I'm saying like, it wasn't anti Jesus. My mom wanted us to know Jesus, but she was passive. She loved us. She prayed for us. My dad wasn't anti God to us. He just, he had other idols in his life that he was worshiping and it wasn't Jesus, but by God's grace, he got saved. Okay. But I remember like long conversations with him. And I remember um, like it not working and I remember being frustrated. Have you ever tried to share about the mercy of God with a family member and being sad and frustrated and tormented in your soul, feeling like, oh man, I just want you to know Jesus because I want to see you in heaven. And I, I want you to know that I know that a home can feel unsafe. And I know that you could get to know neighbors and they can go bad. I realize that you have neighbors, you don't know them. You could be living to some, living next to someone who wants to just rob and steal from your house. So you, you let them into your world, and then you come home, and all your furniture's gone. I mean, I don't know. Like you, I, I, I'm telling you, like, right? But isn't sharing Jesus way more important than all my stuff that I have in my house? You know, Jesus says... Hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Do you guys know what wolves do do to lambs? Do you know what lambs do to wolves? Feed them. That's what lambs do to wolves. Wolves ravage them. And I'm telling you, I know the world wants to ravage you, but man, let me tell you something. God's word tells us that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Will you be one of the few? Now I realize it's really hard to be one of the few. Why is that? Well, Jesus is going to answer that and not just yet, but number two, Number two, um, I've already answered it. Let's go on to number three. Oh, number three, stay focused on the mission and travel light. Don't get stuck on the cares of the world. Travel light and don't get stuck on the cares of the world. Dude, I once heard a guy say that it is almost impossible to be a Christian in America. One of the hardest places to be a Christian is not the Middle East. It's not. Where they torture you and crucify you, that's not the hardest place to be a Christian. The hardest place to be a Christian is in L.A. and Orange County. It is the hardest place to be a Christian. Because there is money and stuff and people willing to whatever. You want to have fun? There is a way to satisfy every sinful passion that we might have. And the hunger for the bigger house is massive. The hunger for the better car is driving our people. It's a hard place to be a Christian. So I'm going to tell you this. Travel light and stay focused on the mission. Listen to what Jesus says. Carry no money bag. No knapsack. No sandals. And greet no one on the road. Whatever house you can enter first, say peace be upon this house. Now I'm going to pause right there for a second. We'll come back to that. You know this is a hard place to do that. Hey look, you know, I I know the easiest thing to do. um, Man, we live so close to the beach. And I grew up like surfing... And you know one of my favorite things to do is to go, like, paddle out with my friends and catch waves. And I would do it every single day. Uh, and I did that when I before I met my wife. I surfed three days a week. I would show up for a date with sand in my hair. Totally, totally an idiot. Did not know how to date. She hated that. By the way, it's amazing. You're like wondering, how does a guy like that get a girl like that? I don't know. The Holy Spirit, God, just like so. Anyway, but I loved it. I loved, I loved, uh, loved water. I still do. But you know how much I go nowadays. Married, I have kids. Like a few times a year. A Few times a year. Like, um, uh, you know, I mean, I might go more. I, I don't know. But, but that's like, I, I, I can't do that, right? This is the easiest place to do stuff like that. There, there are people worshiping, um, the waves on Sunday and worshiping their boat, um, in Havasu. I, you know what? Like, I'm going to tell you, like, it's totally cool to do that. Like, to go enjoy the waves, to go and enjoy, man, if God blesses and you have a, like, a sweet boat, do you, I'll take us with you. I'm going to do that someday. That sounds cool. But, like, do you realize in our context, people worship that? And they like, there are people that call themselves Christians and every single Sunday they're just hitting waves. And I would tell that brother, dude, I don't know if you are like, do you need to count the cost? Like, do you, do you want, do you want to know Jesus or do you want to bow down to this, this, this wave? So it's a hard place. This is a hard place, and Jesus is saying travel light. Is he literally saying, hey, don't bring a a knapsack, don't bring... He's saying travel light. He's saying stay focused on the mission. There are a lot of things in this world that can distract us from the mission. Hey, look, you know what? You you need to be... If you're married, you need to be a good husband. You need to be a good wife. You need to be a good mother, father, to the glory of God. And you know what? The mission that God has us on, this is a wartime mission, People are perishing, and Jesus is sending us out among wolves. And it is dangerous, and sometimes that danger is just us being made fun of, and I know that it can be difficult. Hey, look, you know what? I've had someone cuss me out. We planted this church. I've already, I, like, I've already had someone like cuss me out in a text. Big old, long, crazy, ranting, like, you shared Jesus with, with me? Bomb. All those special words. I can't believe all you bunch of wackos would worship that God. And look, I know that it's hard because there's so many things around us that can distract us. Number four, pay attention to the low-hanging fruit. Hey, we need to tell others about the mercy of God. We need—we need to be an outward-focused uh, church. Every church does. How can we do that? Number four: Pay attention to low-hanging fruit. Pay attention to those that are interested. Listen to—I'll let's, let's, pick it up right here in four. Carry, so we'll start in verse four. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter the first—enter first. Say, "Peace be to this house." And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking. Uh, what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from the house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. What Jesus is saying is you're going to pay attention to what we might call low-hanging fruit. If you and I had an apple farm, which we don't, my, my family and I, once a year, we go to the apple farms at like Oakland or whatever. Um, now, I'm a pretty tall guy, but you know what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to reach for apples that are 20 feet in the air. In fact, they even tell you, just just grab the fruit that's hanging low. like You don't have to reach way up there. There's like hand level. What Jesus is saying is if you're running into people that are interested or curious in God. Then tell them about Jesus. And if they're really resistant to it, like then move on. But if they're interested, capitalize on that. See what God is doing and how God is maneuvering your life to those different people. And be open to to what what God's doing and and go hang out with those people and eat with those people and drink with those people and, and play with those people that are interested. That's what Jesus is saying. So pay attention to low hanging fruit, low hanging fruit. Number five, what if they don't receive me? Number five, this is what he says. So he first goes on to say, hey, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe against you. Therefore, or nonetheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay, some of you don't know what Sodom is. You probably have an idea. But also, I'm going to tell you. What he's doing is like you shake the dust off. What if they reject you? Jesus actually gives an answer. If someone cusses you out, you move on. If they reject Jesus, you move on. Sodom was a town that rejected God. So here's the story of Sodom. There was a man named Lot living in this town. It was called Sodom. It's where we get that word, by the way. Adults, I'm not going to, you get it. So we, we, um, we have Lot living there with his daughters and his wife, his family, and angels of God are sent to him to rescue him from this town that God is going to pour judgment on. They're a really wicked town and God is going to pour judgment on this town. And so these angels come, and Lot meets them, and brings them into their, his house. And then the men of the town and the young men of the town they surround the house, and they say, "Send those men to us. We want to know them." This code word, in a biblical way, they know. Okay. There's like little kids in here, so parents, you all right? No, it's very strange. It was very strange for them as well, because it is strange, and is and is and it shows the depravity and the sin of this particular town. It was just it was just a wicked town. It was a town that um, let's not get hung up on their particular sin, but a town that was rejecting God. And the angels came, and they were going to rescue Lot. Lot's time to go, and they're 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 crying out, "Hey, send those men out so that we can know them." And Lot does something very strange. And if you read the text, if you go back in Genesis and read the text, you're going to be shocked by what he does, what he says. Now, when we read it, I don't know if he's bluffing. I don't know if this is his intent, but either way, the same result happens. But what he does is he says, I have daughters. Why don't you take them? He's trying to say, you want to do a worse thing now This is bad too. Who throws their daughters out there? I don't know if he's bluffing, but what we do see is they are reject. They say no, by the way. They're like, no, we want the angels. We want those guys. We don't want them. We want the guys, and so they reject the messengers of God. These are two angels, right? They could just so then they just the angels make them all blind. They they leave the town, and God's judgment happens. And what Jesus is saying here is, Hey, you know, the story of Sodom, that, um, it was judged and it was, it was, it was obliterated and that, um, their sin was great. And it says this, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it is for that town that rejects you. Isn't that curious? So he tells these 72, hey, if you go, you're going town to town and you have these people and they totally reject you. I want you to shake off the desk. And by the way, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than that town. That's curious, isn't it? Because they had come with the good news of Jesus and they rejected it. Rejecting Jesus is a big deal. You know what? It makes it probably like raises some other questions, but let me just tell you this brothers and sisters the fact that you know him is a miracle and this is actually a plan for what you to do if you know if someone re- rejects it just do just move on and go to where the low hanging fruit is but we're we're it If we want to be an outreaching church, if we want to be thinking outward, then we need to tell others about the mercy of God. And these are just a few things I want you to consider along the way, that yes, it's dangerous out there, but yes, we are God's plan. And and yes, you know what? You could be rejected, but there's actually a a plan for what you should do when you're rejected. What do you do? You shake off the dust and you move on to who's next. That's what you do. But know this, friends. Dude, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, hey, tell others about the mercy that's been shown to you. If you don't totally understand what it means for God to show you mercy, and you think there's other roads to heaven other than Jesus, you don't know Him yet. I just want to be absolutely clear. If you think there's another way to God other than Jesus, you don't know God yet. So let's tell others about the mercy of Jesus.